You are listening to Revival Talk. I'm Pastor Terry Bailey, and I want to thank you for joining me today for the podcast. The message today is from Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, and we will be talking about the Holy Spirit and fire. If you have your Bibles this morning, go with me to Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 through 12. I just want to share this thought with you this morning about the Holy Spirit and fire. How many of you believe we need the fire of God's presence like never before? A few weeks ago, I shared a dream that I had. I still can see that dream very vividly. I was in um, my brother-in-law's house. My mother was with me and other family members, and to make a long story short, I'll just say this. I looked out the window with my mother, and I said, has there been any warning of a tornado, any warning of a storm? And there were dark, ominous clouds all over the horizon, and all of a sudden, a downspout came down, a tornado, and she turned and went back into the house, and nobody was panicked. Nobody in the house really knew what was happening. And I just prayed a simple prayer. I said, Lord, don't let the storm harm anyone. Don't let it do any damage. And the storm went right over the top of the house, and nobody in the house knew that there was a storm. And then I went to another window on the other side of the house, and I looked out, and I saw the same dark, ominous clouds, but in the clouds were fire flames of fire in the clouds not lightning not light but fire and they would just the sky was just filled and it was just lit up the fire in the dark cloud it would just the darkness would illuminate make the light illuminate that much more and I saw that beautiful uh, fire cloud there in that and so I went and looked it up and I found out there is such a thing as a fire cloud it's called a pyrocumulus cloud they're formed when there's an updraft from a volcano or like a wildfire that took place. If you remember at the first of 2020, 2020 was one interesting year, wasn't it? In Australia, they at the beginning of the year, they had all those wildfires that took place because of the prolonged drought. And there was pictures of, of tornadoes out in the what they call the outback, the wilderness, that were spinning, and they were on fire, spinning through there. And they said that what happens is those wildfires will create an updraft that will cause what they call fire clouds and they will produce dry lightning that will produce more fires. Well, I don't believe that's necessarily in the natural what I saw. What I believe I saw that in the midst of the storm, God sends his fire. He sends the fire. Anytime God appears, it's usually associated with fire. The Bible said in Hebrews 12, 29, our God is an all-consuming fire. And one translation says he's a devouring fire. If you remember in Exodus chapter 3, Moses on the mountain keeping his father-in-law's sheep, he saw a a bush that was burning and he turned aside to see it the bush was not being consumed but the bush was on fire and the Lord the angel of the Lord spoke to him out of the bush and commissioned him to go to Egypt and to lead God's people out of bondage we need the fire of God today come in our midst again Matthew chapter 3 verse 11 says I baptize you with water for repentance but after me comes one who is more powerful than I whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John the Baptist was a voice crying out in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord. His birth was announced by an angel to his father, a priest named Zechariah. He had a miraculous birth to a woman who was an older woman and unable to have children, really past the age of having children, and had been barren most of her life. 
She was the cousin of Mary, the mother of our Lord. And at his birth, his father's speech was restored. He has lost his voice in Luke chapter 1, verse 22. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their own time. Luke chapter 1, verse 59 through 64 said, So it was on the eighth day that when they came to circumcise the child that they would have called him by the name of his father Zacharias. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, No one among your relatives who's called by this name. So they made signs to his father what we would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet. And he wrote saying, His name is John. So they all marveled and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke praising God. The name John means God is gracious. The Lord has been merciful. When John the Baptist came on the scene, he preached a message of repentance. Luke chapter 1 verse 80 says the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. In Matthew chapter 3 verse 13 through 17, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by, by you and you're coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. And when he had, had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well Please. Jesus referred to John the Baptist as the greatest of those born of woman. In Matthew eleven eleven, assuredly I say to you, among those born of woman, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom is greater than he. I remember reading some years ago that the ministry of John the Baptist affected up to one million people. I want you to think about that. That was without television. That was without Facebook. That was without Twitter. That was without all of the tools that we have at our disposal today. And he affected over one million people in Israel preparing the way of the Lord. He was great because he was chosen to be the forerunner of the Messiah. It was John who introduced him in John chapter 1 verse 29. Listen to what he says. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist was called the greatest because he preached in the power of Elijah. And like Elijah, he called the nation to repentance. Jesus also called him the greatest because he broke the 430 years of divine silence. We have what we call the 400 silent years between Malachi and Matthew. There was no prophetic voice. There was no a voice that is recorded. There's nothing that's recorded. It seems as if God was silent during those years and there was nothing said nationally to Israel. But all of a sudden, this wild-eyed man comes out of the wilderness, a prophet of God by the name of John the Baptist. John the Immerser, John the Baptizer, and he's preaching a message, repent, the Messiah is coming, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent, turn to the Lord, turn back to God, I'm calling the nation of Israel and the chosen covenant people of God back to a place of serving and loving and being uh, in relationship with him. So, he comes on the scene. He prophesies in Matthew 3, 11. He says, I baptize you with water under repentance, 
but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. I the, whose sandals I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to carry his shoes. I'm not worthy to shine his shoes. I'm preaching to multitudes. I'm preaching to a million people, and I'm telling you to repent. But I must decrease so that he may increase. And I'm not worthy to carry his shoes. He's mightier than I. He's greater than I. I'm a mere man, but he's the son of the living God. And when he comes, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Did you know this was a prophetic word and we're beginning to see the fulfillment of this word? I said we're beginning to see. We have not seen it yet. It's not all come to pass yet. But we're beginning to see the fulfillment of this word. This is an ongoing prophetic word. Somebody's worried about whether the prophets missed it or didn't miss it. Just hold on. Just relax. It's okay. God can watch over his word to perform it. God can take care of those folks that miss it. We don't have to be worried. I've heard about people in all of this that I've lost my faith. I've just lost, I've said, man, I'm not going to lose my faith over what some man says. My hope and my faith is anchored in the word of the Lord and in my relationship with God. All of us may miss it at times, but I've come by to tell you this morning that this prophetic word is still ongoing. God is still pouring out his spirit. God is still baptizing with the Holy Spirit and fire. God is about to send his fire in this nation like we've never seen before. There's about to be a move of God, a revival, and the fire of God's going to fall like it did in days of old and we're going to see things that we never dreamed we would see we're going to experience things we never thought we'd experience and we're going to be moved by the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit the world may have its agenda but I've come by to tell you that God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Ghost are going to intervene in this nation and we're going to see the fire of God's presence you say how do you know we're seeing the fulfillment of it well let's look at Acts chapter 2 Verse 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to, to them divided tongues as of fire. And one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You'll notice I said we're at the beginning of the fulfillment of this word. And that jumped off the page. I thought about that. I wrote that in my notes this week. I said, wow, this is just the beginning. I've never seen that before. I've read through that. I've quoted that. I've probably preached on that. But I've never seen that, that we're just in the beginning of the fulfillment of this word. Listen to what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 17. It shall come to pass in the last days. Anybody believe we're in the last days? But it says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. We're living in days of outpouring. God's not finished with his church. God has a plan to pour out his spirit in the last days. Listen, I, I read an article from the 70s from one of the great Pentecostal fathers of yesteryear. His name is Dr. Ray Hughes. Many of you have heard of him. He wrote an article called Pentecostal Fire in a Dying World. Listen to what he says. He said, Pentecostalism in some quarters is becoming institutionalized, which is the last step before spiritual death. True Pentecostal fire can be tended, harnessed, and controlled, but it cannot be institutionalized. One endeavors to institutionalize the fire, it will break out in some unexpected place. This tendency toward a more sedate Pentecostalism Reminds me of the deacon who was reproving an evangelist for his fiery delivery and told him to put on the brakes. 
The evangelist replied that God did not call him to be a brakeman, but a fireman. And if we're not careful, we will leave the apostolic for the mechanical. And as a blacksmith, it's worth noting when the fire goes out, so it is with Pentecost. The name means nothing when it has lost its fire. We can put a name on the sign. We can put it on the front door. But I'm not interested on what the name says on the front door. I'm more interested that we demonstrate what God has called us to be inside the four walls of this and not just inside the four walls of this church, but outside the four walls of this church. And for that, we need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I wish somebody would help me preach this morning. We cannot finish in the flesh what we started in the Spirit. We can't finish this morning what God has called us to do without the fire of God's presence. So here's my prayer today. Let the fire of God fall. Let the fire fall across this congregation. Let it fall across the people of God. Let the fire fall this morning. Let it consume the sacrifice on the altar. What happens when God's people are baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire? Well, I believe there are three things that I want to talk to. Many things, but let's talk about three this morning. The first thing is there'll be a new fervency. James 5, 16. Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The word fervent means passionless. It means zealous. It means intense. It means burning. James chapter 5, verse 16 from the Amplified Bible says it this way. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, your false steps, your offenses. Pray for one another that you may be healed and restored. The heartfelt, persistent prayer of a righteous man, a believer, can accomplish much. When put into action and made effective by God, it is dynamic and can have tremendous power. It is dynamic and can have tremendous power. I want you to note the words that are used in this translation. Heartfelt. Prayer that's from the heart. It's not a prayer I read off a page. It's not a prayer I read out of a prayer book. It's not a prayer that I learned to recite when I was a child. It's heartfelt. It's on fire. We need prayer that's on fire. Our prayer meetings, when they ought to be on fire. When we come into our prayer meetings, it, there should be groaning. There should be, there should be crying out to God. They should be on fire. There should be people in these altars who are crying out and they should wet these altars with hot tears for lost humanity, for our sons and daughters, our grandchildren, our brothers and sisters and our friends who are on their way to hell who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. There ought to be some red hot prayer meetings going on. I'm trying to bring us back to Pentecost. I'm trying to bring us back to our roots. I'm trying to bring us back to who we are this morning. This is more than just coming and having a form of godliness and denying the power thereof. But I believe this morning we need red, hot, passionate, on-fire prayer for the Lord Jesus Christ. What do we need for the times we're living in? Prayer that's on fire. Listen to this from the Message Bible, verse, beginning with verse 16. Make this your com common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. The prayer of a person right, living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. Elijah, for instance, was human just like us, praying hard that it wouldn't rain and it didn't. Not a drop for three and a half years. He prayed that it would rain and it did. The showers came and everything started growing again. Prayer on fire will be something to be reckoned with. Why do you think the enemy don't want us to pray? Why do you think the enemy wants to hinder our prayer life? I've come this morning looking for some people who pursue God with passion. I've come this morning looking for some people who will say, I'm going to pray and my prayer is going to be on fire. I'm looking for some people this morning who are passionate about prayer. 
I'm looking for some people who are hungry for his presence this morning. I'm looking for some people who will cry out for God. You're crying out in the midst of a dry place. Some of you have been in dry places. Some of you have been in a desert land. Some of you have been in a hard place and it's been hard to feel anything. It's been hard to know that God is there. But yet you haven't given up. You're still believing. You're still standing strong. This morning I've come by to tell you that I've come looking for you. Because the Bible said, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I've come this morning to tell you that if you'll cry out to God, God will come in the midnight hour. He'll come in the moment. You remember Paul and Silas shut up in prison. All they did was preach the gospel and get a woman delivered of a demon. And they got put in prison. Come on, we may get put in prison in the days that are to come because we get somebody free. We get get to preach the gospel or we say something that's not politically correct. We may get canceled. You know, we may get drummed off of social media. Listen, if they drum me off social media, I was preaching before social media. I'll keep preaching after social media. Listen, we got to get some boldness this morning. We're the people of God. We have power down on the inside of us. Brother John Todd, my spiritual father, he's in heaven today. He used to say, Terry, you got inside information. The Holy Spirit down on the inside of you has never been confused. He's never been afraid. He's never been sick. He's never not known what to do. It's time for you and I to tap into the third person of the Trinity. It's time for us to walk in the Spirit and live in the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, and let the Spirit of God move and work through us and speak through us in Jesus' name. John the Baptist was passionate. And what did he preach? Repent. Samuel Chadwick said this. He said, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. Fervent. Secondly, we'll be fearless. John the Baptist could be described as a fearless individual. When reports of his preaching reached Jerusalem, the religious rulers sent a delegation to investigate this mysterious prophet. Here's what John chapter 1 verse 9 through 23 says. Now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent a priest and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you? That we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Who is this fearless prophet? Well, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 through 6, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan confessing their sins. You say, how do we know that he was fearless? Listen to how he addressed the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 7 through 10, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers. Come on, somebody. That'll grow your church. That'll make your church grow. You den of snakes. You brood of vipers. Think about that. Who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not think to say to yourself, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's not popular preaching. 
Here is this man in the desert. I've been to the wilderness of Judea. I've been to the place where he baptized Jesus. It's also the place where Joshua crossed over the Jordan. And it was a powerful place to be because I knew that was the place, believe, where Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. Fearless. Now listen to me. He not only preached to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Mark chapter 6, verse 17, listen to what he said. For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. And John had said to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Now, folks, you don't rebuke a king, otherwise you get your head cut off. And that's what happened to him. You see, he was fearless. When you get baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire, you receive a holy boldness. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 through 8, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard of from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And in Acts 4, Peter and John, listen, in Acts 3, Peter and John go to the temple to pray. And they meet up with a man who's been lame from his mother's womb. And he was begging. He was asking for help. He was looking for money. And I know Peter was a Pentecostal holiness preacher because here's what he said. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. What happened? The Bible says strength began to fill his ankles. And he not only walked, but he was leaping and praising God. And they just started a revival meeting right there. And 5,000 people got saved. What happened? They got hauled into prison and locked up. And they didn't know what to do with them. Man, they're trying to debate what we do with them. And they finally said, we're going to call them out here and deal with them. They're arrested, and they're brought before the rulers, the elders, the scribes, and even the high priest and his family. And in verse 7, in Acts chapter 4, verse 7, listen to what it says. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power and by what name have you done this? But listen to Peter's response. In verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged by, for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead by him, this man stands before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now this is the same Peter who cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest, Malchus. This is the same Peter who denied Christ three times, cursed, went out and wept bitterly. This is the same Peter who was fishing in the Sea of Galilee and saw Jesus on the shore, stripped off his clothes and swam to the shore, and Jesus restored him on the seashore. This is the same impetuous Peter who spoke, just said what everybody else was thinking, but he would speak before he thought many times. What's the difference? Look at verse 8. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. What will make the difference in our Christian walk of faith? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice how the rulers responded in chapter 4, verse 18. So they called them and commanded them not to speak nor to teach in the name of Jesus. You can, you can have church 
But we're going to give you your agenda and we're going to tell you what you can preach and what you can't preach. And don't you dare pray for the sick and don't you dare preach in the name of Jesus. Why did they not want them to preach in the name of Jesus? Because there's no other name under heaven. There's power in that name. There's healing in that name. Listen, sometimes when you don't know how to pray, you just simply call on the name of Jesus. 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 There have been times in my life when I just didn't know what to say to God. I didn't know how to pray. You know what I do? I just look up and I say, Jesus. Jesus. Man, there's something powerful about that name. When you say that name, it releases power. Demons tremble at that name. The name of Jesus. What are we going to do when the rulers of our day forbid us to preach and teach in the name of Jesus? Some will give in to fear and intimidation. But those who have experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire will answer the same as Peter and John in Acts 4, 19 through 20. Listen to what Peter said to them. Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. When you experience the fire of God's presence, you're going to be bold in the things of God. Listen to the results of their prayer in Acts 4, 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. When we experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire, we'll speak the word of God with boldness. We'll be fearless. Fearless. What does that mean to be fearless? Does that mean that I don't... No, that, that don't mean that you just never have... Listen, there are times when fear will come against you. To be fearless, I think, could mean this. It means I don't give in to the fear. The first emotion many times you feel, you get a bad report from the doctor, you hear some bad news, the first thing you feel is fear. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's normal. But what do you do with that? How do I respond to that? I have to get a hold of that. And I think when we get filled with the Holy Spirit, we get a holy boldness in us. The last point is simply this, and I'm almost finished. It's faithful. Fervent, fearless, but the third thing is faithful. Faithful. You serve the Lord, you're going to have high times of worship, times of outpouring, times of glory, but you're going to have dry places. You're going to have discouraging times. You're going to walk through times that you don't understand what's happening to you. You don't understand why you're having to face what you're having to face. You don't understand why bad things happen to good people. You're going to have questions. As you make this journey in life, here's the key. You have to be filled, and then you have to experience refillings all along the line. 26 years ago, Beth and I lost our first child. In that same nursery, we left without a baby. In that same nursery was an abandoned baby that the mother was addicted to crack and didn't want, and there laid an abandoned baby that nobody wanted, but yet here we were going to raise our baby to love Jesus and we were going to raise our baby to, uh, in the right way and be loving parents to that child. But our baby was taken to heaven. Now you don't think that won't make you ask questions? That'll make you ask questions. But you have to get at the foot of the cross and you have to worship. Because there's a lot of things that happen in this life that feel unjust, that don't feel fair. And you say, I don't understand. Am I preaching okay? I'm being real this morning. And we have to come to the place where, Lord, I need you. I need your infilling. 
I've found this out, that if I can get along with God and hear God's voice, I can, I can believe I can face anything. I remember, I don't mean to be sad, but somebody needs to hear this this morning. I'm going to close with this. Beth went into labor on a Sunday after church, and I remember family came, and we were all excited. And they told us at a certain point, I don't remember, when the pains get so far apart, you just come to the hospital. That next morning, we went to the hospital. We took a picture right down there where you went to get registered, and her in the wheelchair, and we went upstairs, and they hooked up the monitor. The nurses knew right away. So instead of hooking up the baby's heartbeat, they hooked up hers. And the doctor came in. He ordered an ultrasound. He looked at us and said, we have a problem. Your baby has died. Your world will stop right then. Our world stopped. And we went through the questions and the grief and the anguish and the pain. But I want to tell you, we never stopped looking to God. We had to look to Him as our source. I want to report to you that God healed us. To this day, we don't know why. Medical science couldn't give us a reason. But here's what I know. There's a little boy in heaven named James Thomas. And he's waiting on his daddy to get there. Matter of fact, if we go in the rapture and me and Beth walk in together, he's going to run right by her. And he's going to hug me first. <laughs> I mean, people came to the hospital that day, family members, and they said, we don't understand this. They said, we know that you and Beth would love this child. We know you'd raise this child. We know your life. We know that you love Jesus. We don't understand. You know what I told him? I said, we're going to get at the foot of the cross and we're going to worship. And the next morning, I remember, we did it the old-fashioned way. We didn't know if we was having a boy or a girl. I spent the night that night in the hospital and that next day I went home to get some clothes and I walked into the house and there was all of the house prepared for a baby. And it just broke my heart. And I looked up and I said, Lord, I've lost my son. I've lost my son. And here's what the Lord said to me. He said, I lost my son too. Immediately, the peace of God came. You're going to have hardship and difficulty in this life. It's a part of the human experience. We live in a fallen world. There are going to be times when sickness comes against you. Some of you have battled cancer in your body. You understand what I'm saying. Some of you have had diagnosis of certain things. The enemy's going to fight your home and your family. But what we have to do is we have to be faithful to the call of God. I believe it's Acts 26, 19. Paul said, I've been faithful to the heavenly vision. I don't know about you, but I've this morning, I'm asking for a fresh touch from heaven of the Holy Spirit and fire to stir up a new fervency in my heart. Listen, this last year has been the hardest year of my ministry. And folks have been faithful in our church, and we've persevered, and we've pressed through this pandemic, and I say glory be to God for what God has done. 
he gets all the glory and all the honor. But it's been tough. It's taken a toll physically on me. But you know what I did? I said, Lord, you've called us. We're going to press into you. And what the enemy meant for harm and meant for destruction, we're going to believe you until you turn it around for our good until we see revival. The devil can't have our children. The devil can't have our family. The devil can't have our finances. He can't have our health. The devil can't have our homes. The devil can't have what God has blessed us with. We're going to draw a line in the sand this morning and say in the name of Jesus, we're going to see the glory of God. Stand with me.